You're listening to Drums and Guns with your hosts, Brian DeChristopher and Jason Touchstone. Nick, let me let me introduce you to Jason really quick. <laughs> so, Nick, Jason, Jason, Nick. Hey. <laughs> hey, I, I'm also a, a fan, not an Uber fan of, of Star Wars. Actually, just yesterday, I was at a friend's house and he showed me that episode of The Mandalorian where Luke shows up and just cleans out the dark robots, whatever they were dark called. Troopers. Dark troopers. Dark oh. Yeah, that was I, I teared up. I'm like, this is I've been waiting on this for 40 years, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, like, I just, I got goosebumps now thinking about that scene. Like, um, I wish. Why wasn't it in slow motion? Why? Why wouldn't you put that in slow motion? Prolong it. Well, you know why? Well, I don't know if this is the correct answer or not, but I would say that I think it was because I spotted right off the glove, and once I saw that one glove. I knew it was Luke right off the Dude, bat. The green this... lightsaber. Well, yeah, that that was the big giveaway. But as soon as he walked out, I was like, "Oh, single X-wing and he's in a black and person's in black." I'm like, "This is Luke post Return of the Jedi." Which, and if you read, so the first official books before Disney scrapped everything and then brought it all back was uh, is called the Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy, and there's a book called Heir to the Empire, and then there's a couple others to make the trilogy. And Luke is just like that in that book, like full on. He's still in the dark, like black clothing and stuff. But he's so cool. super so badass cool. in that. Mm-hmm. Which I think you know, you know Neil M. Sang, right, Brian? Yes. Mm-hmm. So did you know he did the uh, scene where Mando's getting his ass kicked by the dark trooper? He did all that animation. Oh, really? Yeah, he did that in the scene where um, Bo Katan and her partner. When they fly off of the uh, walkway there over the uh, right over space, when they kill all those troopers, mm-hmm. he did that whole scene too. When they all fly back in and shoot everybody up. Oh, right on. Yeah, right so on. he did that whole thing right up to like the flamethrower and getting his ass handed to him. It's like, all right, man. So, That's good work. Yeah. Yeah. What killer scenes too, man. Gosh. It's, yeah, but Luke era. definitely. When I I was like, that's Luke. I, right off the bat, I just knew it, and and yeah, and when he came out and just cleaned house, I was like, oh, that was just yeah, yeah. What a, what a great way to end that season. What's that? There's a continuity error in that scene. So when he reaches out to force crush the one dark trooper, oh, that's so good. His left hand, and then when they cut back, lightsabers in his left hand. Ah. Uh, and I was like, wait a second. I catch I catch stupid little things like that, but it was you know it was like the third walk through or watch through of it because even Ethan would watch that. He was he was not too into regular TV yet, but some cartoons. But he would watch that section. I was like, all right, we're gonna milk this. Let him sit here and watch this a little <laughs> bit. It's definitely been what's kept me going through all this. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great to have close knit type family unit type thing. Yeah, it was coming home for, you know, getting, having, well, now it's been over a year since I've been home. It was the 13th. It was a year that I'd been home and it's, it was definitely a little trying at first to like try to, I've toured for nearly 20 years solid. Right. Trying to figure out who I was. It was, it was a little rough there for a little bit, but now it's, 
full in daddy mode. And I'm like, all right, we're, we're with some of the lucky ones that, you know, the guys took care of all of us last year with the PPP stuff. And then my wife has a great job with the state and we've kind of figured out I can slow down a little bit now. Maybe I don't have to gig hop like I constantly do. It seems right. like. So it's nice to Did it become addictive. Like got to do it, got to do it sort of thing. Is that, I mean, 20 years. Wow. A little bit of that. Cause I mean, you know, our business, it's a little, you don't get forgot about, but it's, oh, he's busy with such and such band. You know, nobody, they, they'll always think, oh, well, he works for, you know, in my case, like Disturb's my main client. Oh, well, he's busy with Disturb. Little do they know we're off for like the next 12 weeks or something like that. I can come fill in for a little bit or something. It's, you kind of have to keep your face out there networking, but it was also just this, I didn't want to be that guy that I couldn't make my bills because I was like, I need to work. I need to work. Like I would come home from tour and I work local production here and I would be home and I'd fly home and the next morning I'd have a load in locally and go in and do, you know, an 18 hour day. It's just mm. no rest. And now it's kind of, it was forced on me and it's like, all right, I can polish the skills a little bit and, get back into doing some things I've always wanted have wanted to do just didn't have time and it's it's been good it's it was hard though it was definitely <laughs> trying to figure out who I was was you know yeah, it's almost like you have two lives and two families right because your road family is a family in itself yeah and you guys get pretty tight out there I mean you're in close proximity you're working hard you're watching out for each other's lives basically yeah you know, I mean some of the stuff you do is pretty freaking dangerous yeah, it's, thankfully, it, with the Disturbed guys, thankfully, it's pretty tame comparatively. I mean, when we it's came back. the crew. Yeah, <laughs> no roller coasters. Every time Mikey starts talking something, like I look at him and I go, I'm out, dude. <laughs> yeah. So now you work for a, do you, do you work for a company that sends you out to work with bands or do you work totally freelance? Um, it's all freelance has okay. been since the beginning really so and just it, by networking and word of mouth and that's how you get in with guys like lamb of god and disturbed and all those guys yeah, yeah it's <laughs> as i always say it's uh wrong place at the right time or right place wrong time bad life decisions mm -hmm. <laughs> any of those but yeah like my first tour it was just uh a friend of mine she was friends with management for uh lacuna coil and she called or she called me like it was like five o'clock in the morning or something i'm like what is going on like why is my phone ringing and she's like a company from germany is going to call you in about an hour they need a new guitar tech because i started as a guitar tech and okay. they're like we need a guitar tech for or they need a guitar tech for this band their tech has gone MIA tours in like three days and it's like okay and I get a call from direct management out of Germany going hey so we've heard you recommended there's not a lot of money and we know it'd be like your first tour blah 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 but uh, if you want it the gig's yours and you know we'll get you your plane ticket and have you ready to go it starts in like three days you know you just need to be in Boston I was like okay sure and it was just like 
okay, what did I, and they're like, all right, cool. We got a plane ticket. We'll email you the details. And after I got done on the phone, I was like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, I'm still like on waking up going, it's, it's like 6.15 in the morning. What's, who? <laughs> Am I dreaming? That's funny. So that when did you transition over to drums? Uh, I always been a really terrible drummer like I was good in high school like I was good on the snare line and stuff like that and played mm -hmm. in high school but I stopped playing when I got out of high school because going to college you know doing the normal thing and just didn't have time and I got back to drum teching actually just the second to that next tour the second tour with Lacuna because I was helping uh, the drum tech that was on it too he'd never drum teched at all and I was like, all right, well, you could do this and this and this. And he was just one of those. It was a kid that he was a buddy that made friends with him uh, when they came through Florida. And they were just like, yeah, he came out. He was going for like $100 a week and using all his leave because he was in the Air Force. So he just would put him for leave for like the six-week tour or however long it was <laughs> and just went out and did that with us. And then they're like, well, okay, next run we're going to do is um, – it was going to be the POD tour and they couldn't afford to take it. It take any crew on that. But the next run was Ozfest 2004. And they're like, well, we're going to bring our guitar tech from Europe over with us, but would you want to do drums? Like, yeah, I'm more comfortable on that. And then it's, I flipped back and forth, you know, like after that for a few years, but like that run too, I ended up helping guitar tech because he had to get the guitar tech had to go home. He runs a festival and, the uk that he puts on himself like this industrial alternative festival and he had to leave the last two weeks of ozfest so i flew or he flew home and we flew a guy in and it was a disaster he was there and gone in like eight hours it, it was yeah it was bad wow and so I ended up, I was doing both and like everybody on the second stage, like, cause it was a year Slipknot headlined the second stage. And so those guys were friends of mine and some of the other techs that were over there were friends of mine and they would just jump in and they'd help out. They're like, yeah, we'll do your switches and make sure stuff's, you know, tuned. Like you make sure everything gets loaded in and blah, blah, blah. And we'll help you on the changeover. Like, All right, cool. Perfect. We got this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny when you, when you call, um, I can't remember if you, I think you texted me about Lamb of God being around, you know, and if, and if I wanted to come out, you know, and, and hang out with you and stuff. So I came up, you know, I come out there and stuff. Well, anyways, <laughs> I'm standing there backstage and you were, you were pretty busy. I mean, you, and Jason, it's funny because when, when Nick comes out, you know, like, like you see him like here, you know, with, you know, the ball cap and like, well, <laughs> when he comes out, he looks like he's getting ready to go like into a SWAT team or something. Cause he's got a gig jacket on, you know, it's, you know, all this gear strapped to him and everything with all the pockets full of stuff and everything, you know, and, and he's hardcore, you know, he goes in there and gets jumping. Well, anyways, while you're sitting there doing your business and stuff, I'm standing back there and I'm, I'm looking at Carrie King's rig, you know, cause uh, it was Lamb of God opening for Slayer. And uh, so I'm standing next to Carrie King's rig and I'm checking it out. And there's this guy standing right next to me and he's just vaping up a storm, dude. It was like vanilla chai or some. And it was just, all, and I was like, man, this guy's gassing me out. 
And he starts talking about, yeah, this stuff, man, I can only get it in one place in the whole world. It's like someplace outside of Pakistan or Afghanistan or something like that. I can't remember what, what stand it was. <laughs> but he's like, and you don't have to buy it there and I have to, I have to support myself on it. It's like, oh, that's good. He goes, oh, well, and he looks at his wrist and he doesn't have a watch on, but he's looking at his bare wrist and he goes, gotta go. And he runs out on stage and starts performing. It was Randy Blythe. Yeah. <laughs> like, that guy's a riot. <laughs> yeah, Randy, that's a, a dude, he is he is one of the smartest individuals I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Smart and he's funny. And like, I don't know if you ever follow him on Instagram, but he was, when there was that thing a couple months ago, of putting like, it, the AI of putting like your face on like videos and all that. Oh, right. The whole thing, like he was like Charlie's Angels. He was in, he was part of the Victoria's Secret fashion show, all this. And we're just, I'm watching it going, he makes a really ugly woman, <laughs> but it's just yeah, it's pretty funny. such a smart, funny dude. It, mm-hmm. Had a lot of fun working with those guys. There were there were some trying days. Uh, you you seen it to load out that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's crazy. That was that was a good tour. It was a lot of fun. Made a lot of good friends on that. Initially was I was going to ask about what he does in this leisurely time, but I want to back up a little bit before we get to that, because I want to ask, what is the craziest fucking thing that's happened on the road with a band with you working with? Oof. I've got a few stories. I'm trying to think some of the... Well, that, that Lamb of God run, we had oh, we had a slew of bad crew, dri- crew bus drivers that we had... And, we had one that thankfully he was really, we got it. He, we had one that was really bad and he got fired and a new guy came out. Thankfully we got that guy cause we blew a front steer tire and it threw the bus into the ditch. Like, Oh, it like almost a repeat of the disturbed accident from right. two, way back in 2008. And so thankfully we had a good driver was able to, you know, take care of that. So, you know, that's, one of those weird ones uh, like that'll keep you awake at night and oh man i'm trying to uh, i've got a few probably probably the one that gets me the most mileage is the first time i went to russia so go to russia the band that i'm with we're you know this is early 2000s so it's still pretty wild west over there this is like what is this 2005 2006 somewhere around there and brought over we're we're there on tourist visas you know we fly in with 60 pieces of fly gear on tourist visas is just you know okay it's like yeah this isn't shady at all just flying in and i get to we get to the border patrol and customs agent immigration and guy doesn't even look at my passport he just looks at the outside and goes you need new passport I'm like what and he goes you need new passport and then coming the other way through immigration one of the uh like handlers for us just a handful of money they throws down a hundred dollar bill for him right there like us not rubles like full us hundred dollar bill just thumbs through the passport goes uh, and gets to the visa page you still need new passport Another two hundred, another hundred dollars down. And he goes, uh, there might be problem. Uh, before he even gets problem out of his mouth, like there's another. 
stamp. You'll have a good time. Get new passport though. And then and just rinse and repeat for like the whole crew through the entire like border guard stuff. And this You're just is, getting milked. Yeah. And just the cost of doing business there, you know? And right. It was like that. And then the show was surreal because we load in and there's like everything when you do these fly gigs in some of those places, like they're super overzealous. Like they load in days before you do just getting stuff just right. And at front of house, they've already got the whole VIP section set up. Well, then they have a riser at front of house. So you got the, like the red velvet rope and everything instead of a barricade. And then uh, behind the riser is purple velvet rope. And like what you would totally imagine a throne would look like, like the Hollywood stereotype, like gold throne and like red cashmere seat, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I asked one of the translators, like, what's, what's up with that out there? And he goes, oh, that's for the VVIPs. I'm like, okay, what's VVIP? I'm like, I know VIP. And like, he goes, the very, very important. And I'm like, Okay, like who is that joking around? Like, is that President Putin? He goes, Yes. Like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, Yes, he's very good friends with uh, the guy's name was Sergey, I think it was, was the promoter's name. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. and so we have to do, we do this show and we're doing it's Luzniski Stadium. It's, and we're doing there, that's where we're doing the show. But after that, we're doing a private show at a club that the promoter owns part of the deal, like, Oh, two shows kind of thing. So we go there and we do a quick little line check, make sure everything's good. And like, all right, cool. We're going to do this show. And right before all that happens, Sergey's people comes through and like, Oh, okay. You know, here afterwards, here's drinks and food. And, you know, if you need anything before, let us know. And then all of a sudden somebody else comes through and, they're like, okay, you need to listen to this, these people. And they're just say, we have a very important guest coming. When he comes in, do not look him in the eye, shake his hand and st- say spasiba, which is Russian for thank you. It was freaking Putin. And we're like, when he comes through, I'm just like, oh God, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> yeah, like this is like, nobody's ever going to believe this in, right? Yeah, it's just one of those one of those stories. Like, holy crap, man! They, You're the one with the iPhone trying to do a selfie with him in the background. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm no, I'm not going to do anything to get myself thrown into the gulag here. <laughs> and after that, it was even you know like they did. We did that whole thing, and he comes through, and then afterwards, Sergey comes in, and he goes, oh. You guys want relaxation? You come with me to my other club. So we all pile into this van that we're like being ushered around in. And he takes us to um, this brothel that he owns. That's like full on, like walk in the doors, like 1500 euro cover charge. Like that's, you pull up and there's like valet parking and there's, you know, Maseratis and Bugattis and like Lamborghini Aventadors and all this stuff parked outside. Like where the hell are we now? And that's, we find out it's the brothel. It's like, go have fun. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the bar and have some drinks. It's like, okay, I drink with you. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. So it's like him and his translator. And I was sitting there and end up, we're drinking vodka. It's like, I get the vodka. And it was this like thousand dollar bottles of like Beluga Diamond or something like that. And I'm just like, wait, what? 
And one of the guys comes back afterwards and is, you know, does his thing. He's like, oh, can I get you anything else? And he goes, I don't know. J- jokingly goes, I don't know. Pound of cocaine. He goes, five minutes. And I shit you not, five minutes later, a silver platter covered in this stuff just comes out. And I go, I'm out. My flight's in five hours. See you. <laughs> like, I need a ride to the hotel. You know, and the whole time you're telling me this story, I'm hearing this voice in my head that says, Welcome to Anarchy 99. Remember Triple X? Yes. Hey. Yeah, see, after seeing that movie, like, I've met those people before I've seen that movie, you know? Like, that <laughs> that, that kind of fringe element because of this band I was working for. Mm-hmm. Like, we were rehearsing in the Czech Republic, and they one of the guys that helps facilitate everything we had to go with another one of those go to the party and you know like the band's got like no show but had to go and like be grateful and all this and so we're all you know like in the emails coming to us like bring nice clothing for these kinds of events like okay we roll up the dude has two russian tu-72 tanks at his front gate like this guy's got his own freaking private army roll up like he's got those and there's you know like militia dudes just everywhere. He's got a freaking zoo with lions and tigers and shit. You walk in, there's a room full of any recreational substance you ever want. Like they're like, oh yes, this is party room, blah, blah, blah. If anything you need, they they got it in there. Another room full of women, you know, another just bars everywhere. Just like, okay. And he's like, he asked our front of house guy, like, oh, can you come take a look at my stereo? Like, I've been having problems with this. And I'm like, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go yeah. hang out with him. We're not going to get in trouble here, you know? Right. <laughs> and this is like, you know, four or five weeks before we go to Moscow. And that whole Putin story happens. It's like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this camp. I'm out. <laughs> That's a pretty crazy story. Yeah. So. Yeah, so now I'll now I'll come back around to the story uh, to the question I was going to ask you, which was on your own time you like to scuba dive. Yeah, and I don't know a whole lot about scuba diving. Only that there's about six mixtures that they use, right? And they go from recreational diving all the way to super deep scientific type diving that where you get to you know 130 meters or more. Yeah, but that's about as 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 good as far as I go. Yeah, I. Myself, I'm only, I only do, um, I don't really go beyond recreational limits around here because it's, it's Ohio. There's nothing really deep besides the Great Lakes. And mm-hmm. so do you yeah. do a nitrox or? Uh, no, I just do regular air because it's the place I usually dive is only about 20 to 25 feet deep. Oh, okay. so there's no, no reason to do any mixing and, uh, nitrox I've done it, I've done the course on it, but it's, I have no need for it around here if i would do you know multiple dives like if i ever did one of those liveaboard boat trips or something i would do that but honestly uh, was it two years ago there was a fire on one of those boats and mm. it killed everybody but the crew because the crew sleeps above deck and all the passengers sleep below decks and the fire broke out right at the only uh in- access point so there wasn't even like an emergency, the emergency hatch, you couldn't fit anybody through and wow. everybody burned to death. And it was one of those, like, I don't think I'm ever going to, and then like three weeks later, another one, and that happened in California. 
and then like three weeks later one happened in the red sea and i'm just like yeah i'm good for liveaboard stuff right wow i dig it it was it was a good escape last year it helped me kind of help me find you know some give me some times that just hey it's you and your thoughts and you just got to concentrate on surviving like i mean 20 25 feet isn't that bad so it's it's easy to come up from but it's still you know you need to concentrate and focus and Mm -hmm. it was good to let me do that and just kind of zone on myself for a minute and yeah because you go down and explore like school buses and you know wreckages and things like that yeah yeah the quarries around here that are set up for diving they have the closest one they have a was an old school bus uh old blood mobile a couple like ambulances and then um place north about two hours north of here they actually have a old jolly green giant chopper down at like about 60 feet deep and then right beside it is a i don't know what it is honestly it's it's a i think it's an old jet or it might be an old turbo prop like where it's the engines were on the wings where they were low on the fuselage instead of like above and you can totally swim through them. Like they take everything's taken out of the inside, so there's nothing to get snagged on. But it's still it's it's kind of cool. Like it, it's the closest thing to flying that you'll ever get without you know having a jetpack. I don't think we're getting those anytime soon, <laughs> right? Or jetpacks underwater like Sean Connery had. Yeah, I've actually used one of the little scooters underwater. Those are really fun. Are they cool? Yeah, like you just grab on one hand and you just it pulls you right in controls right there. You can adjust how fast and slow you want to go and it'll, you'll haul some butt underwater. It's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> and like, Are there different requirements for freshwater versus saltwater? No, they're all the same. Um, the only difference is your weight for uh, your buoyancy to offset it. So like I usually have to dive, I dive with about 14 pounds, depending on how thick a wetsuit I'm wearing. But in salt water, you have to add an extra, what is this, extra 3% to that. So it'd be like I have to add an extra like three or four pounds depending on what I'm wearing. And, you know, if I'm wearing a thin wetsuit or a thick wetsuit or. So just eat more pizza. Yeah. Well, no, that just makes you you float even more. Oh, (laughs) I figured three pounds of pizza would work. Yeah. What's what's, the more fat on you, the more you float. that's true that's that's why they say women are more buoyant yeah they have a lot more natural fat to them and they just and they float more yeah it it really is like i know a couple guys that dive that are like super muscular and weigh as much as me and they're like yeah i wear like four pounds to offset the tank and that's it Mm. and they sink like a stone yeah i haven't done a whole lot of saltwater dives and all the ones i've done have been I've never done, a, I've done two in the U.S. and they were both in San Diego. The rest have been Australia or the Baltic Sea. Did that on the Baltic when we had like 10 days off on, in Copenhagen. So I was like, I'm going to scuba dive in one day. I got nothing else to do. I'm on paid vacation. So that was cold. It was 54 degrees. And they're like, yeah, this will be the hottest. It will be all summer in this water. Like, Ooh, I'm good. Did you have to use one of those suits that you wet the inside first? Uh, yeah, I was on a full-on wetsuit. Uh, everybody else was diving dry suits, but they didn't have any to rent at that time. And 
So it's like, okay, well, this is going to be a chilly dive. <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess the uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but the logic is is by uh, having the wet in between your flesh and the suit itself, your flesh heats up that wetness and it's supposed to warm you up. Yeah, yeah. The, the it the neoprene traps the water between you and the uh, the suit, so that water does warm up to your body temp. And like it's summertime, it, I've literally been sweating underwater. I know it sounds, but like you can feel it. Like you'll start sweating underneath your eyes and stuff. And oh. then you pull the collar, like the collar of your suit, and you'll feel this cold rush come through, and then it'll warm right back up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's a little it, it when it's really cold, you don't notice the difference. I mean, you're still yeah cold when you get out. <laughs> right. What, what other hobbies on the road do you do? I imagine, wow, you probably got really good at playing Mario Kart on the on the bus, I guess. Not really? Like, I used to love video games, but I don't know. I, I've i tried to get back into them, like, when I was doing this other band after Disturbed Rap in 19, and we had, you know, had some Nintendo Switches on the bus, but I don't own anything myself besides i have a nintendo th- or a uh, xbox 360 <clears throat> excuse me so like two generations of consoles ago or three or whatever it is that I played halo on but i haven't played video games on it in probably five or six years and then i downloaded some at the beginning of this whole thing to play on a laptop and i was finding i was spending like three or four hours playing it at the end of the night and i'm going I can do something else with this time and you know i just i enjoy it but it's a time suck to me like i'll get sucked into it and i'll start neglecting other things like on tour days off for me is you know it's now with my little boy and stuff it's a lot of video calls and being on the video chats all as much as i can and otherwise it's it was going to the gym for a while, but then there was always an injury that would pop up and I wouldn't be able to go. So, which, you know, today I just started back for the first time in like two years because finally, like everything seems to be healed for right now. <laughs> and, but yeah, otherwise days off like Europe or anywhere outside the States, it's what cool stuff can I find to do today? Because I don't know if I'll ever be back in this city or you know, I don't get the chance, but over here it's kind of days off or, all right, let's, if there's something cool, if there's some diving close by, I'll, you know, get some diving or rent a car and go drive in the mountains if something like that. Or last time we had a day off in Seattle, we actually went out to uh, wine country. It was uh, Jeremy, our guitar tech's birthday. And we went out there and got absolutely hammered at a couple different vineyards. It was a good time. You know, we'll try to find stuff to do like that. So you must have quite a photo collection. Yeah. Yes and no. Like I go through phases. I have, honestly, I have 20 rolls of film downstairs. I need to develop yet. (laughs) So you're still using a manual camera like that, not a digital camera. Oh, I have that too. I have a DSLR. I mean, honestly, my phone is 10 times better than that DSLR now because of, yeah, it's, it's a 10 year old body and I've only got a couple of cheap lenses and the phone just, you know, the, 
it it's not as good as the DSLR like control wise, but the image clarity is so much better, especially with all the new AIs and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the film, when I have gotten it developed, I actually like the look and it, I take better photos with that than with digital. Like, I, you know, film, it actually makes me stop and go, okay, I, do I really want to waste a shot on this photo or otherwise like I can just take my phone or my SLR just click 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 okay I'll sort it out later mm-hmm. but I so when you're actually doing your job are you do you refer to a photo of the drum setup like oh that's right I need to move this over an inch or... uh it, it depends you're... like um when I first started uh, with I prevail fall of 19 when disturbed wrapped up I would for the first few days like Gabe the drummer came out you know, helped me set up the first day. Like I got everything kind of built and was going by what I could figure out on the marks and going, okay, this looks about right. And I'd look at it like a photo of what was online. And then he came out it's like, oh yeah, tweak this and this and this. And I would take a photo once it was all done. I would just kind of do a panorama and then like close-ups of different things. And after about, after about three or four times of building a kit that way, it's all right, I'm done. I'm good. And I can do it from memory. It, like Mikey's kit, it's this will be October will be 13 years that I've been with them it's I can build it in my sleep <laughs> so it it just it depends on the artist like or if it's a single one-off or like I did that one with ministry when uh Roy was playing drums it was only one show I did with Roy I had like three photos of his kit and showed up to riot fest in chicago and build it via the photos and he comes in two hours before showtime or something like that and he comes up to check out the kid he's like dude how did it like i nailed it he's like nobody's been able to do this before like without me being here how did you do this i'm like i just kept looking at the photo going yeah that don't look right <laughs> like kept tweaking things i would zoom in as much as i could you know just and it was also, you know, it's feel too. Like you kind of like, okay, I can see all the photos in the world, but sit down. And even if I'm not a good, that good of a drummer, I know what feels good. And like, this doesn't seem right. Like this is really close. Like my arm is tucked into my side or I'm like super stretched to reach this guy. And it's, you know, it little, little different things like that. And then you I have imagine those- like, Oh, I was going to say, I imagine when I look at like Neil Peart's rig, I'm like, how many people, how much time? Like, that's insane. It's just one guy. I don't know. Yeah, one guy. Really? And, it's and, and, and Nick can confirm or deny, but, uh, you know, a lot of times those things are uh, the, the, the rack is already set up. All the uh, clamps and everything are already in place and basically you come and you put the shells in, you put the symbols in, you make sure the shells all have new heads on them and everything and tuned up, good to go. But for the most part, everything's positioned already for you and set up on a rolling deal that just rolls out of the back of the truck and you just, yeah. That, it, some, I mean, Disturbed, I've never had that luxury, but to be honest, I, I've had it both ways. I had it like that. I'd never had it with Disturbed, but I've had it with Lamb of God, where the rack and the kick drum stayed together, and then I just put the toms and the uh, snare in place and whatever in the cymbals. And honestly, I like having to build it from scratch every day because I put hands on every piece of gear. I can tell 
if something's not right fail you know mm-hmm. otherwise where it's like i can do that with it still on the rack but it's it's not the same there's something that just you don't get the same kind of feedback and then in like uh neil's kit his tech his lauren has been with him he was with him for years and he had to build his from scratch every day too i don't think it because our old front of house guy for disturbed he was their monitor guy for 14 years and i think brent said he only ever had it like one time that it rolled off the truck like partially pre-built like only just a couple things like the electronics or something but otherwise it was all it's every day he builds it from scratch yeah the riser he's got that weird he had that weird setup where there was no legs it was just straight stands so the legs were all removed and he had this this system where it would just kind of clip in place but still you know that takes time to set up like it's it's like a week of prep just to get that all built and like you finally at the end of the day neil would sit down and or i would assume this is how it would be because that's how it was when i did tommy's kit that roller coaster one where we got everything kind of close and what felt right and measurements and everything that i had and then you have tommy sit down you know play around for an hour or so and like i'm sure it was kind of probably be the same with neil he'd play around for a little bit uh, let's adjust this or that and then once that's set you lock it in, weld it in place, and, and Bob's your uncle. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed uh, a lot of guys, when they do that, um, you'll have your riser, and you'll have a lot of fixtures for plumbing Yeah, that are mounted to the riser. This is where the symbol stand goes. This is where the stair goes. Is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I have a drawer full of those uh, floor flanges, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> floor flanges. They work great for kick drums, man. I think it's inch, inch and a quarter flange mm-hmm. in the kick before, well, for Pearl, for their feet, holds them in perfect. Yeah, the spurs just drop right in there and they can't yeah, scoot. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I've, I've made some after destroying a couple risers here or there of uh, drilling into people's decks just to, all right, flight eight, doing that is like I've made a way to uh, Velcro them down that it's, it's, that dual lock, that really heavy duty stuff. Yeah, the 3M dual lock, yeah. Yeah, and I'll just, I have a bottom of those lined with it and then I just put a really heavy strip of that stuff down on the house riser or whatever, or, you know, my carpet. Mm -hmm. There we go, they'll stay in place and I can peel them right off and it's good to go. Yeah, you have to be resourceful out there. Yeah. I noticed uh, on Mike's kit, you had a lot of little things that you that you did to make things easier for him while he's out there performing yeah yeah the little mini boot mic stand with the uh drink drinks on it and uh you know just a little curtain clamp spring hand clamp to drape the towel over and you know the uh what else i have on his right i have all that's on his right with uh a light so with gel over top like lighting gel so where you can it boots the lighting down so it's not super bright and just you know it's about making the artist comfortable and but it's also about making it easy for yourself too like if things get crazy you don't want to you want to make sure it's an easy repair but you want to make sure it's something that you can set up and tear down in seconds because you know you know how the days go i mean you've seen seen the changeover before that all right we got 10 minutes to get off stage and let's go you know mm-hmm. you want to make sure it's quick yeah it's funny you talking about making me artists comfortable i was at watching a live show 
And I think the drumstick flew out of the drummer's hands and he reaches to grab another one and there's not another one. Ooh. And I, you could hear the screaming at the poor drum tech over the mains. <laughs> like he's just rah, red in the, I'm not gonna say who the act was, but like, like a Polaroid just slowly turning red and veins coming out. I'm like, oh, the poor guy. Uh, and that, I, who knows? I, I don't know if the drum tech had a gig after that. That's that's it quite was, an oversight. It was probably his cousin. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's. I mean, that stuff kind of happens though too. Like, in I've been yelled at in the middle of the show, not by Mikey, but uh, I've been yelled at in the middle of a show. But it's a heat of the moment kind of thing. Like the show's going on, and something just immediately happens, and. Mm -hmm. You know, you're putting out one fire and then another fire starts, that, those kinds of things. But, you know, at the end of the night, you you address it after the show and after you've done your loadout or set change or whatever, you address it. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, everything's cool. And it's just like, yeah, sorry. Everybody's like, okay, sorry, bro hug and see you later. But, you know, it does happen. I, I had it happen with... Uh, Bittner years ago. He was the one that helped me get the disturb gig. Actually, okay. we were doing a run, and the only reason was was he pulled a stick out of his stick holder on the left side, and what he did, the stick tape that was on him was so sticky it pulled the other three sticks out with it at the same time, and he dropped all three of them. And he's like yelling at me for sticks, and I'm like I'm trying to weave my way through because it's this. Honestly, the stage wasn't much bigger than this office I'm in right now. Like trying to weave behind cabinets, like sucking it. I'm, I was like 50 pounds lighter then too. Trying to suck it in to get behind the cabs, to get to the kit, to get behind him while he's still trying to play the song one-handed and crazy double bass stuff going on to get the sticks to put on his left side. Just like at the end of the night, I was like, sorry, dude. Like I can't, couldn't get to you. It's like, no, that's all good, dude. He's like, that was my fuck up. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, in this industry with, uh, you know, drummers in general, um, you know, I've never dealt with one that was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> They're always the coolest people, you know, and being a guitar player myself, I'm not a drummer. I couldn't play drums to save my life. You know, although I know what sounds good and what's in time, <laughs> but beyond that, I couldn't do it. But I work with them all the time and I get along better with them than I do other guitar players because they're just so relaxed and cool people mostly. You know, so yeah. them to get sparked off and get really fucking pissed off, you know, it's kind of kind of rare, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's I don't know if it's just the fact that you know they're they're not the front man, they're not up front, they're just kind of in the back, keeping time, you know, keeping time, keeping keeping in the shadows, so to speak. Maybe that's why everybody's just mostly laid back. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of everybody I've worked with of anyone that I've had that was that way and can't really say that I have you know it's everybody I've worked with has always been really cool and mm -hmm. super chill dudes and I talk to a lot of them to this day some of them are you know European artists that obviously you just the time differences and everything culture differences you kind of like drift apart or whatever but others I've yeah, a lot of the dudes I still talk to all the time. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is during the 70s, I remember seeing photos of a lot of bands that was popular to have two drummers. 
But listening to the music, I never picked up on the fact that there was anything that required two drummers. Like, wh why, why don't more bands these days have two drummers, I guess? Like, and what was the point? I really don't know. I know what you're talking about, though. I've seen it like, like the Jackson 5 or somebody like that. Or I remember like Motown, that was like a big thing at times. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing stuff like that, that. But to me, I don't... I don't see the purpose of it either. And today it's, I think a lot of it's just, depending on what genre you're in, you're, it's too technical trying to have two guys play the same. Like, could you imagine two guys, two Thomas Hawkeys trying to do Meshuggah? Like that would be, I mean, one that does it is actually absolutely insane, but two mm -hmm. guys, you know, that would be really hard. And I think with that intricacy that some of that stuff is, is why you don't see that now. But then I mean, you have Godsmack, yeah, with Shannon Lark in it, and dude, I mean, and and the two of them go at it at the same time with two full kits, yeah. But yeah, yeah you, you know, that's that's of course a solo. Yeah, you know? and it, they've been doing that solo for a while. Like they rewrite parts of it all the time, mm -hmm. but it, it's super well rehearsed because they've yeah, it's very choreographed worked on yeah. it for years. Because I don't know if you know, but I did those guys uh, back in 2012 when. Mm -hmm. Disturb went on hiatus. I was out with them for a run covering their normal tech. It, it was cool. It was a lot of fun to work with Shannon and do that whole drum battle thing and stuff. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm driving the drum riser because it's a bunch of electric motors. It's a square frame with the round deck on top and drives out and do all the spins. And there's certain points in the in the little drum battles like, okay, now you spin this way, then you spin this way, and then. The big 360 and then back the other way and it's it was cool but yeah that's the only you know that's the only time i see i've seen it in recent memory and then uh what was it um metallica the live shit binge and purge box set james and lars going after each other mm -hmm. if you remember because he would do when they did the the in the round that snake pit stage he had one white kid on one side and it was on like it was on a track so it would slowly move its way down the one side of the stage so everybody could kind of see him mm -hmm. and they had one on the other side too and like halfway through the show it was on a lift and like halfway through the show the second kit would come up and then they would do their little drum battle thing and the other kit would go down and it would do the same thing but yeah i can't think of any other any other artists that do that Right, in a practical application to the rhythm throughout the song. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I mean, of course, you have different genres. You take, you know, you take jazz, you'll have a full a drummer with a five-piece kit, maybe, you know, but then you'll have another guy who will be your percussionist, and he'll be the guy that does all the little bells and whistles that go in between. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah, know, uh, but not much in the rock world anymore. Yeah, and these days, I mean, you put a, a lot of people put that on playback, you know, or... Or like in the case of like some industrial bands, you got guys that are live sample, like playing those, like they're playing keys plus like playing drum samples while the drummer's playing some beat too, you know, like, okay, cool, whatever. Right. And you would think that maybe that, you know, there's maybe that slim possibility that maybe that act that had those two drummers was because the guy who tracked that song was so fucking good that the guy they had on the road with them wasn't and he couldn't carry the weight. Just two guys wouldn't be unheard of, right? <laughs> well, I always like hearing a, a 
a band whose drummer is doing the check play the Kiss Alive one Peter Chris drum solo. I don't think mm -hmm. I've heard anybody do that one in a long time. Oh, it's right. just my old I drummer Scotty would do it. Yeah, Scott Henderson would do it. He would kick into that and he'd start doing the whole thing. And I'm like, you know, dude, you need to mic up your kit and put a phaser on it like Peter Chris. Did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. cool. You actually just, I just thought of one that did the two drummers, but it was only a one night thing. So years ago when Sebastian Bach was doing like a solo tour, this is, this is early in my career. I wasn't touring just yet. I was working as a local hand and he had the, whoever his drummer was with him. And um, the guy that was playing guitar, I remember this, he was in Anthrax when like Anthrax had really split down. It was like Scott, Charlie and uh, John Bush, and a rotating cast. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Paul Crook plays with Meatloaf. He was playing guitar for him. And I forget who the drummer was, like the normal drummer, but the guy that recorded the album, Anton Fig from Letterman Band. Mm -hmm. he flew into Columbus to do one show and they had both kits for that whole show. So I, I actually met Fig and got, you know, got the drumstick and all that stuff at the end of the night. Like we're loading out and it was a local backline company. So it was in one of his, in one of his sticks was just left on the floor. I'm like, Hey, <laughs> you know, this is really early in my career too. When I didn't know better, so to speak. Yeah, Anton had close ties with Kiss too. He was always their go-to guy for solo stuff and you know Ace Frehley's material and stuff like that. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. And what man? What an amazing drummer that guy. I mean, you know, he could carry whatever he threw on him. He can do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind mean, of like a Kenny Aronoff, you know. Yeah, it's you know that's why it was kind of blue. I still remember it blew my mind. I'm like, really, the drummer from David Letterman's like rock and metal all right and he did it on like a little what was it, it was kick snare like rack floor couple crashes and a ride you know the normal normal mm. little kit and i'm just like all right cool party yeah. let's do it yeah it's it was, like um uh, you know really uh drummers that are really big into the the drummers from the 70s and things you know you take like a simon phillips and this is what blows their mind is i'll go like yeah did you like him on the judas priest album he never played with Judas Priest. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and he did a damn good job of it, too. A lot better than Les Binks or Dave Pollan. Yeah, they, when they, all these guys that would come in like, uh, we need you to save this song, and here you go. Yeah, and mm -hmm. Arnoff was one of those guys. And I never knew until I watched uh, Hired Gun, that uh, documentary that uh, my buddy Fran did. He where he was was it uh, Jack and Diane that famous drum fill? Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, that was him? Like, and him talking about like how he was so nervous, like coming in to like do this song, and he just kind of like I don't know, and just threw that out there, like you know, pulled it out of his ass kind of thing. I think it's what like I think that's how it was going. It's been a while since I've watched, but it's just like, dude, that's so crazy. It was like such a like iconic thing now. Mm -hmm. iconic drum fill and it oh wow that was him all right cool and it's funny that you'll find that it was a different drummer that carried the rest of the song yeah you know kind of like uh which really surprised me because um you know i i like to learn about these kind of things you know and and one of the ones that really really surprised me was uh 
when um, <clears throat> you start finding about your favorite, you know, your favorite bands and you start going, oh, wow. So that dude never played on the album, you know? So you're going, you know, like I'm a huge Kiss fan. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I had the posters all over my walls and everything, you know, got to meet Ace Frehley and everything. And it was a dream come true kind of thing. And then I had to play guitar, you know, that whole thing. And, uh, but then I start finding out, wow, you know, as the years went by, he was on less and less albums. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh boy, wow. And that whole time I thought it was, you know, him, wasn't him at all. Yeah. Like the bands right before somebody gets kicked out, like, oh, we we're recording everything he recorded. I would come in and erase and he mm-hmm. would, and I would re-record it. And then he'd come in and erase everything I did. It's like how common that is still to this day when, uh-huh. you know, like when bands are just, button heads with each other yeah and the one that really comes to mind uh, um, that really really surprised me was you know the whole beat it from michael jackson yeah okay and this whole time it's always been drummed in my head eddie van halen played the guitar on that song he played part of the guitar on that song all the rest i think was steve lukather i think so yeah so and then he went in michael jackson had him play the guitar so he went in there and he put all the guitar down eddie van halen came in laid down the solo that's it yeah yeah i always love that story there it's on youtube still that you can and when eddie passed you know that was making the rounds of him recording that like oh well can you take this part of the song and do this and then add this little extra here and then switch these two parts and they're like and he's like, I came in and laid the solo down. And then, you know, I got a call from Michael and I was like, oh crap, he hates it or whatever. He's like, he's, he's like, I love what you did, you know, like uh-huh. made the song. And then it's this iconic thing now, you know? Yeah. 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 And you could definitely, you know, that's him. There's no denying it. Yeah. But the he, fact that he didn't play all that, all that opening stuff with the synths and the, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff, those cool hooks that really wasn't him. Really yeah, kind but of surprised it's totally me. what he would do. Yes, exactly. Yo, dude totally nailed his his essence, right? Yeah. And, la- and laid it down. Yeah. It's like um Rob from Machine Head. You could you could hear the first three notes of the song and you would know it's Machine Head just by the guitar tone because they have that very specific tone. You're like, oh, it's it could be like four open chords and be like, yeah, that's a machine head song. Just there, there's certain guys that have that, that just have that certain style that you know. Once you know it, you're just like, oh yeah, that's him, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same goes with drummers as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, we were having a discussion. Uh, Jason and I were having a discussion uh, with, I believe it was with Eric Aldinius from Billy Idol. We were talking about um, whether a drum lick could be copywritten and whether it can be construed a hook or not. We actually had a pretty fun little conversation about it. We don't need to delve into it again now, but uh, it was, it was kind of interesting, you know, because it's like, you know, you can have that little fill, like uh, I think in that conversation, we were talking about Phil Collin with in the air tonight. Yeah. Um, or uh, the, the subject matter you had brought up. It's, you know, you, you listen to it and you go, man, it is so unique. And then that, then becomes such a big part of the song. You come in as a songwriter then, and you get on your credits that way, and that way you get paid for it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, you know, like you said, without going too deep into it, yeah, I think you can, you can totally make a drum, you know, style that's your own and like your own, you know, I don't, yeah, like you said, your own drum lick. I mean, listen, Down With The Sickness, 
as soon as you mm-hmm. hear that beat, you know exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it's it becomes an iconic thing. Mm-hmm. And it, people might not know who the band are, but they know they've heard that because they've heard it at a football game or they've heard it in a commercial or it was in the background of a movie or whatever. They they know they've heard it. The kid down the street was just, you know, jamming his stereo in the garage or something. Mm-hmm. But everybody's heard that and you know that like and that's one of those little things that gets stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes the earworm. Yeah. That's true. You know, I when I think back of what I would consider the earliest drum hook, the first thing to me is Ringo Starr. Uh, you know, sh- dun, 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 dun. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can't the think of that accompanied that. Good lord! Oh, that's oh, hot. Garden. That's hot. Good. God. That's hot. That is yeah. one of the most sexy bass lines ever. I mean, in its simplicity. Pardon me. I'm, I'm fiddling with technology behind me while I'm talking to you, and I, I, I apologize. But, uh, but yeah. Let me give it back to you. I apologize. No, I was just saying, come come together is is one of the first what I would consider drum hooks that I can think of. I'm not saying it is, um, but I know like another popular drum hook to me would be "In Excess Need You Tonight." But also, I think important part of that is actually the amazing engineering behind the the drum sound. The mix is. Chris Thomas just blew it out of the park. The engineer that it's, actually got the tones and the shapes and everything is what you're talking about. Yeah, I think you can play it yourself on your own kit. It's just, it's not going to represent well. Like it, it takes, it takes talent on the other side of the glass to fuse it all together. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. You can be the most talented guy in the world, but if you can't play for a song or write a song to save your life. I mean, what good are you? Yeah, exactly. You know, you got to have that guy that can sit there and tell you, no, you're overdoing it or you're underdoing it. You got to have those guys, the guys in the studio adding magic, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably, you said you worked with ministry. Ministry uses, I imagine, quite a bit of electronic manipulation. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the process ever was in the studio, but I know like live, it's, uh, the drummer because Roy did the one run and then we had uh, Derek that did all the others when I was involved And the only thing going on there in drum world was he was triggering the kick and the snare to do new samples, depending on some of the songs to help with that. And then John, the uh, keyboard player, he's triggering all the samples live. Like he's got a click track that's playing just to help keep time. Cause I mean, you, you want to try to keep it as close to the beat as possible, but he's manually triggering every little sample and key sound. And uh, it's, it was very like involved with what he had really going on, but it's, it's almost like it's a lost art now too. It's not just like a keyboard player. It's there. You're playing samples. You got to know, okay, this sample does this, this, and this, and like it does this weird loop back and comes back, you know, on, plays for 10 seconds i need to know i gotta hit this and hold this key for 10 seconds or you set it up to tap once and then all right i gotta hit it again it's it's a really it's almost like i said a lost art Mm because everybody now just okay click and playback and you can have your entire show run off of an iphone or an ipad now yeah yeah 
Um, it's it's interesting. Scott uh, Scotty Rockenfield, uh, back when he was playing with Queensrÿch, uh, he had devised that basically he was using a MacBook Pro behind his kit, you know, on a snare stand next to him, and he was running the whole AV show. Yeah. You know, instead of having somebody else do it, he's doing it himself. You know, because he knew where everything needed to be. So. Yeah, you just time code it, and it's it's all software. I mean, that's kind of what we do in a way. Like it's, you know, we still have a lighting op, you know, or light designer LD out front. You still have a video engineer and produ- a video producer for like if we've got video walls or whatever. But if you're you just do time code with a click track, so where you stay on time to that time code, and you hit play, and then just the whole time while they're building the show okay it's 10 minutes and 37.8 seconds this light cue happens or this video fires or you know pyro okay this this flame goes or this boom happens it's in i mean you can even do it with audio consoles you can go okay well at this point it's i know a lot of guys that do it but they don't do it fully like what happens with light and video they'll go okay it's on this one will set bring up this scene for this song and then they manually control everything else because unlike lighting and video you know or pyro audio is very still dependent on the video like it, no matter it can be the best sounding room in the world but the you know delays or reverb can be a little different from venue to venue so they want to have that control but everybody uses it now for or not everybody but a good majority uses it. it, but it's really cool to be able to have that consistency and provide like you can almost take a show to a point now that's physically impossible for somebody to run because you can just program all these crazy cues into it and the computer just goes, all right, cool. And do this. Yeah. And everything's electronically connected with your light show and everything in your pyrotechnics, everything's going through what uh converters into a computer program. Yeah. And now so, it's getting down to it runs. That was one of the things I did in this whole downtime was learning uh, the standard called Dante. And it's it's basically it's audio. I've heard of Dante. I think Mike Perkinpine. Yeah. It's audio over Ethernet. But they just updated their standard and you can do video over it too. You have to have a gigabit network. You need Cat6 to do it. But you can... So literally you just run from your front of house run back to backstage to monitor world, wherever your audio split is and, you know, or video village, wherever all that is. And it's just, you run a couple of cat and network cables and you can even do it with playback now, or you don't even need external audio devices. You have a converter on one end of the, uh, the network cable. So it's like, you just use the network jack on your build that's built into your laptop run a network cable over to modern world to the split. And then they have the box that goes from Dante to whatever standard you're using there. And all right, good to go. Done. Don't need anything else. Hmm. It's when it comes to live shows, what are fans wanting? Do they want an accurate portrayal of the music or they want it like live sort of let the cards fall where they may sort of like loose. It, you know, it doesn't have to sound like the album. And uh, I think it depends. Uh, like some of the artists I work with, I think they want the album. They want that tight show. They want, they have a preconceived notion of what's coming in. They want it to sound 
like what they know that the album sounds like. They want to hear all the bells and whistles and things. And then you have bands that they just, I want to see the show. And if it's a little loose, it's a little loose. It's like, like, you know, like Slayer, those guys, it's completely old school. Mm -hmm. Go out there and all right, it's, it's Slayer. It may be, you know, Rain and Blood may be, I don't know what BPM is, but it is, but, oh, it's, on the album it's 150 but tonight they're playing at 163 or you know they played it a little slow at like 145 because you know but the fans are just like dude it's slayer let's go party <laughs> you know it, i think it just really depends and what really kind of kind of gets me about it too is they crucified you know millie vanilli what 30 years ago or whatever yeah, there's more reasons to it, but the fact that they were lip syncing and everybody's like, "Oh, they're lip syncing! Oh my God, boo!" Blah blah blah. You know, everybody was real upset about that before they even knew the rest of it that it wasn't even them on the album. It was just two dudes faking it. But I mean, that happens today. There's certain, mm-hmm. there's certain pop groups and stuff like that, and people just, yeah, who cares? Whatever. I mean, you know, good cases. Look at any award show on TV. Or the Super Bowl stuff like that. None of that's live. It's not allowed to be. Right. They can't afford to have a mistake yeah. with millions and millions of dollar advertiser dollars behind it. Yeah, they would bail next season if you had a real bad screw up. Yeah, you know? so I think yeah, people are they're conditioned to like okay, cool, whatever. That's wow, sounds like the album, awesome. You know, just there, it's more. I think that's why shows have gotten more involve theatrics and lighting and video and pyro and cryo and all the little fun gags you can throw into the show i think that's where why the shows have gotten to the point they've gotten to like that outside of the rock world like rock and metal you know just get out there and here's some backdrops here's a cool light show and here's some loud music let's party Mm -hmm. 